Thanks, Andrew. Just uh, while we were were worshiping, um, I felt like God was celebrating. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. Um, like this real celebration in heaven. And I was asking God, like, what are you celebrating? I'm not preaching now, by the way. I'm going to get there just now. Uh, what, what are you celebrating, God? And I was reminded of this verse. Um, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. And he says this, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So he's, he's using the analogy of like a herd of, to the herd, flock of sheep, of 100 sheep, and one sheep goes astray. And he says when God leaves the 99 and goes looking for that one person and brings them back, and when they, when they are brought back, there's the celebration in heaven. And I was thinking about Byron and Ezekiel and about how you guys are getting baptized this morning. And I felt like there's this celebration in heaven. And I was reminded of like how different God is to our thoughts. Because I wasn't thinking that at all. I mean, as much as I love you guys, I wasn't like, <laughs> like all of heaven rejoicing. But that's God's heart, you know. Like all of heaven is rejoicing. All of heaven. I mean, I can... God's sometimes so much higher than I, as he says in his word, <laughs> and his thoughts than my thoughts. And I just thought to just celebrate your lives. Is that cool? I don't want to embarrass you guys, but is it cool if we, could we pray for you guys? Would you guys mind coming and standing here and we stretch out hands and, and pray for you? Is that cool? You don't have to do a long speech or anything. I just, I just wanted to pray for you. I figure let's join in the heavenly celebrations. <laughs> Why don't you just stretch out your, your hand toward these two? Thank you, Lord Jesus, for two lives that have been saved, God. Just reminded of that story, Lord, that when they were lost in the world, you were the Father waiting on your doorstep, longing, so eager and, and, and so full of compassion and so full of love longing for the day that they would return home to be with you. And when they returned, you throw them this huge celebration and you say, my son was dead, but now he is alive. And I want to pray for these two men. Lord Jesus, would you affirm them in your love for them? God, I, don't, I can't even begin to imagine how much love in your heart is overflowing toward them right now. Thank you for your incredible love. Would you affirm them? Would you strengthen them? Would you add them to this body? May they join a family where they are cared for and loved. Would you not only start them well, but on their last day of their, their last breath of life, they would finish strong with hearts full of faith and courage, with, with a legacy of, of love and mighty deeds accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you bless them, Lord Jesus? Would this day be such a special day that would be imprinted on their minds that forever they would remember the day when their sins were washed away, when their consciences were washed clean, and you spoke a word of affirmation over them. I'm thinking of Jesus' baptism. 
it says there was a voice that was heard from heaven that said, this is my son. With him I am well pleased. And I feel like even though Jesus was a Christian before that, Jesus just wants to declare over the two of you, even though you've been maybe following Christ for however long, today God wants to speak over you and say, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Woo-hoo. So I want to just um, start this uh, with a little uh, excerpt from uh, an, like, like a news article that I read about the church that meets in China. Now, for those of you that don't know what the situation is in China, China is officially a, an atheistic nation. Um, so religion is not really um, uh, permitted. But because of the stubborn nature of Christianity, they've had to make allowances for Christianity. One of the major ways they do that is they have a state-sanctioned church where they literally have, how crazy is this, guys? They have a camera on the corner of the building so that whatever you do in your services, like Big Brother is literally watching you <laughs> through the camera. So that's the state church. They, um, but it's mostly used as a vehicle of propaganda to make people to give their hearts not to Jesus but to the government. They, so, so many Christians have chosen to go the non-state route for obvious reasons, but it is illegal. And at various times, the government has sometimes clamped down on the illegal churches or the underground churches. And at other times, because they've grown so fast, they've just sort of been more lax and allowed them more freedoms. But just an update, and I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. Uh, One of the pastors wrote this. He said, now this is during COVID, persecution prepared us, the Chinese church, to face this pandemic because persecution forced churches to close their public meeting places. Even if the pandemic is over, the public space has been squeezed very small for the churches to gather. So in other words, you can't rent uh, uh, schools and public government buildings to do church. Uh, But even the private space is also tightly controlled, so to rent from private industries. These days... Nervous neighbors are more likely to report a gathering of, say, 20 strangers or so. Basically, you cannot have larger than two families or three families in your home. That will be a new norm for Chinese churches. So that's got nothing to do with COVID. That's just to do with the fact that the government is once again clamping down on underground churches. Now, this has been normal for a very, very long time in China, basically as as long as China's existed. So COVID has made them go back to the old ways, which was to have small churches in homes. So they had this muscle, this, you know, which is this muscle memory, which they've fallen back onto with COVID. It's just kind of like, but what I'm aware of is that for us in the Western churches and in South Africa, we didn't have a muscle memory to go back to when our churches changed. Because in South Africa, we've only ever had peace. We've never had restrictions on the way we meet as a church. Um, But I wanted to just remind you that since the very beginning of church, church has always had to adapt to the circumstances that it's in. 
I don't mean compromise morally. I mean that from the very beginning of church, for example, in the early church history, it wasn't possible to have a big building to meet in. Like, it was, just, it was just not something the government permitted or granted people. And then obviously during persecution, they'd have a very similar situation to what they have in China right now. And then when, when regulations ease, the church gets bigger and, and sometimes massive and sometimes very expensive. But throughout the history of the church, it's always changed shape to suit the circumstances, which is partly why the Christianity just won't go away, because it adapts. Um, it keeps what's important. We never water down what's important in our faith. But the form that it takes has shifted many, many times. Now, I wanted to share this word with you this morning because I felt like a strong word which God wanted to share with us because we're a part of the Western church. We, in China, they don't get too put off by the church changing from 100 people to like three families in a home. But for us, that's a massive head shift. And I feel like God wants us to adapt the way we think about church because it's almost like there's been a sifting. And as I was mentioning earlier, to use an analogy of a car, if you want to take a stock car racing, factory-produced stock car, it's not fit for racing. You have to rip out a few things first. It's too heavy. Take out the air conditioner, take out the airbags, all the, the fluff, the bells and whistles, which are not 100% necessary for racing. You rip that stuff out, you make it lean and fast and light. And it's almost like the church has been through a season like that, where what's unnecessary has been ripped out, and what's essential has to remain. You understand what I'm saying? In the shape that the church has taken, the form that we've taken. But here is the really big danger is the question of what must we keep and what can we dispense of is what we are trying to, many churches are wrestling with that. For example, online church. Before COVID, that was already a thing, especially in the States where you can, well, you can get more money that way <laughs> because you can reach more thousands and less overheads. But it's accentuated that process now because with COVID, it just makes more sense to have online church but here's the thing. Is there something we dispense with that is essential to church? Have we ripped the carburetor out of the church or the car and said, oh, we don't really need that and gone off racing? Carburetor is an old thing that cars used to have before petrol injection, for those of you who don't know what a carburetor is. It's a very important part of your car for the non-metal heads amongst us. And so we are resting with this question of, what is absolutely essential to the church that we dare not lose? And I'm going to answer that question this morning. What are four things? If we look at the Bible, what are four things you absolutely cannot do without? And the reason why I'm sharing this with you is because as we shift, as we change, as we adapt, we realize and we have to hold on to what is valuable and we need to be ready for these changes. And I'm so glad I get to share this with you now because I didn't get to share this two years ago when you really needed to hear this. So, for example, there have been moments when as I've seen the church wrestle with issues, I've, I've said to the Lord, sometimes with tears, God, we are not ready for this. We, <laughs> the, the, these changes are too big. We, we're not ready for this. We, we have never had to deal with this before. So here's a crazy, it's one of a thousand different crazy examples. We come into this year, and 
We came out of Christmas thinking to start church 15th of Jan, I think it was. And then we went into a lockdown immediately. So we just didn't open again. So we were in a lockdown. And then to add insult to injury, we have this whole like WhatsApp privacy debacle, which is a legitimate debacle. I mean, people's privacy is being shared with whoever. So then people are going off of WhatsApp as well. Now I'm thinking, okay, we are only communicating through WhatsApp now because church is closed. All our communication systems are on WhatsApp. Another one like Artery, which we have for communication, that's also like gone. Now people are literally like, you may as well not even be a part of the church because you're so isolated. And I just was one of those moments. It's funny, but I've just, I was one of those moments where I just shook my head and I was like, Lord, we are so not ready for this. But now, I've, now that we're meeting, now that you've got you all in one place, now I want to share some of the things that you really need to know about what is happening with the church and what you need to survive and to not only survive, but to grow, to grow, because we're growing in many ways. So here's one of the first things and one of the essential things to church that a church cannot dispense with, <clears throat> genuine relationships and genuine love. Don't take my word for it. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Sorry, could someone find my water bottle there somewhere? I did leave it there. Thanks, Kev. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is misguided. No, he is a liar. <laughs> Bible is quite blunt sometimes. I'm not going to apologize for that. I didn't write it. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. Can I just linger there? Love for God without relationship, meaningful relationship with people, brothers and sisters in Christ, does not exist. Do you realize I just shot a holy cow right there? Like, there's a massive deception in the church today that thinks that you can. Because we separate what's spiritual with what is relational, but God doesn't. I'll, I just want to do one more scripture. That's talking about love. What about faith? In James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose, a, the answer is no, by the way, in case you're wondering. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So we've, we've spoken about love and we've spoken about faith. But a non-relational love and a non-relational faith does not exist. Are you, I'm not sure if you know this, but I hope, I, I hope that, you, that something settles in your heart right now. It doesn't exist. Not only is it not healthy, like that's not ideal. No, it, it doesn't exist. Now, how many know if you take faith and love out of Christianity, what do you have left? Well, whatever you call it, don't call it Christianity. <laughs> you can call it something else. So, relationship, genuine relationship and genuine love is absolutely essential to genuine faith, to genuine church. In other words, if, it, if church doesn't have that, it's not, actually, it's not actually church. 
I mentioned earlier, one of the things that has been so overwhelming in a good sense for me is like for us as a congregation, how much love has overflown despite lockdowns, despite isolation, the amount of people that have not only loved each other, but like way above and beyond the call of duty. And that is so beautiful to Jesus. When Jesus sees that, he's like, there's my church. By your love for one another, you show that you are my disciples. And so this is not only nice to have, it's, it's actually what church is. Without it, church isn't actually church. It's one of the reasons why we actually have community on a Wednesday night. One of the things that we can easily fall into is religion. It's like we've got church on Sunday and church on Wednesday. Well, the reason why we have communities is actually because we believe church is relationship. As beautiful as these times together are, it's really hard to build meaningful relationship with 100 people in two hours in a building. And so we figure, well, seeing as church is relationship, let's, let's meet together during the week. Talk about Jesus, discuss our faith, encourage one another, get to know each other, pray for one another, study the Bible together. But here's the complication. If you try and get 20 people in one home once a week, have you tried that? So which night are you free, Matt? Okay, cool. Tuesday? Andre? Thursday? Okay, we already got a problem. To synchronize your calendars once a week is a nightmare. So we've just figured, let's just cut the admin. We'll just do Wednesday nights. So that we can be family, so that we can do this, so that we can be authentic, real Christians. Does that make sense? It's helpful to know why we do stuff. It's not just like, okay, cool, church on Sunday, church on Wednesday, I got it. It's not like that at all. It's because of how we understand what church actually is. Now, there's a couple of obstacles. It's not just COVID that causes people to shy away from this kind of church. One of them is that family, church family is made up of people just like me and just like you. And it gets messy. It's hard. It's much easier to just worship Jesus and then carry on with my life. People sometimes think of church like a a gas station or a petrol station where I'm running a little bit low spiritually. So I pop in a church and I refill and then I go on with my life. But church is not a petrol station. Church is family where we love one another and we work through. That's why the Bible speaks so much about forgiveness because church is family. Forgive one another. Be, love covers over a multitude of, sin, of, of sins. If you've got a complaint against one another, this is what you must do. It's because it's messy. It's family. So many people are scared of that, so they rather do fake church. The other thing that happens in a crisis is that self-preservation kicks in. And we have been through a crisis. We are in a crisis. In an emergency, you think about me and my own, in my, mo- my most immediate family. And so one of the things we as leaders have been trying to keep encouraging people is, okay, cool, care for yourself and your family, but then look up and think, Jesus, who else can I love? Who else can I look out for? Can I care for? Can I serve? Can I bless? Because that's the nature of Jesus. When Jesus was being killed, he wasn't thinking about himself. He was thinking about the joy that was us, family, laying himself down for us. The other thing that has happened as well, and we need to be aware of this, is that COVID has also caused divisions between people. You just need to go on Facebook for like two minutes and you'll see that. It's caused divisions, strong opinions, strong convictions about this or that. And we need to be careful that doesn't come into us as well. That actually love is our primary motivating factor, is how can I consider others? Does that make sense? Must Please be careful that Satan doesn't come in with division over silly things like that. But 
despite all of this, do you know that discipleship cannot happen without relationship? How did Jesus make disciples? Well, he took 12 men and he spent how many years? Three years walking around, speaking with them, loving them, having meals together. Discipleship happens in relationship. So that's number one. It's the most important one, so that's why I put it first. The second thing, and you're going to laugh when I say this, the second thing that's absolutely essential to church is gathering. Gathering. And the reason why gathering is important to church is because of what it actually means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is a collective identity. It's a collective identity. It's like saying, I'm South African. You can't be a South African by yourself. You have to be in South Africa for that, with, with the other South Africans, right? It's, it's like saying, um, I am a soldier. Well, if you're a soldier, that implies you're in an army, doesn't it? If I am a child, that means I'm in a family. And so all the definitions of what it actually means to be a Christian, my identity, who I am, what I am, is corporate. It's a corporate identity. So who I am as a Christian is only makes sense in a corporate identity, in church. And that's why gathering is a natural thing that the Bible actually assumes right throughout because of our corporate identity. It's something we've always done. Something that else that you would have realized if you've been walking with Christ for a, a little while and you would have even experienced it this morning is that there is actually a corporate grace that we experience when we come together. You would have, how, how was it this morning when you were worshiping Jesus? I guarantee you, if you had sung those exact same songs in your lounge by yourself, it just wouldn't have felt the same. And that's not just because you don't sing like Robin, although that's also true. <laughs> Our own Tasha Coops. Eh? Um, if you don't know her, it's fine. So. But there's a corporate anointing. If you read the Bible together, there's a grace that you experience that you wouldn't have read it on your own. If you pray together, Everything you do together in the Spirit has a corporate anointing. It's a grace that God ministers to us as saints. And so one of the obstacles for this in times of COVID is that gathering looks different. We have to adapt in the way that we gather. And if you think about even this year, how many different ways in which we have gathered, it's quite, it's quite a mind blow. I mean, 50, and then it's 100, and then it's in your homes, and then it's on a Sunday, and then it's on a Saturday. Can I just say that's normal? It's not normal for us South Africans, but if you look at the history of the church, that is very normal. And I want to say for us, we have to learn a new muscle, which is to adapt. In fact, Everything in South Africa right now is having to adapt, and that includes the church. I want to say this is so serious. This is so important for you. I would say it like this. It's either you adapt or you'll die. Either you adapt or you'll die. I mean spiritually, you'll die if you don't adapt. If you just think, I'm going to go to church when it's normal, when COVID is done, spiritually, you'll starve. You won't make it until COVID is done. But even more than that, there's a deeper principle in terms of what does the Bible say church actually is? And if you're gathering with two other families on a Sunday morning watching Josh Jen live, you know that's church. It's just a different form of gathering. And so it's essential that we gather. How we gather is not as important as that we gather and what we do when we gather. Does that make sense? It doesn't make sense. I hope that over time it will make more sense. I know that we don't learn new tricks 
very quickly and very easily. But this is a biblical definition of what church actually is. Also now gathering together in person comes with risks which it didn't have before. And so that's a wrestle in our hearts as well. But we have to be a kind of people that we weigh up the risks and the reward. And at some point, it becomes more safe to gather because I will spiritually survive. And my spiritual survival, that I thrive and grow spiritually, is absolutely essential to our well-being. Number three, what, this is something that has been seriously eroded by online church, is that the Bible describes the church as a body with many parts. What's incredibly dangerous now with some of the shifts and the changes that have happened in the church globally is that we've shifted to a culture of, of, um, of being a passive audience rather than an active participant. The, Jesus didn't fill you with the power of his Holy Spirit so that you can be a passive audience. If that were the case, we'd still be living in the Old Testament because that's exactly how it was in the Old Testament. One man was filled with the Spirit, and everyone else came to watch. But in the New Testament, the whole privilege and the joy of being in the New Covenant is God fills you with His Holy Spirit, and He gives you grace gifts to bless and edify and strengthen the body. And how many of you know it's hard to do that in a live stream when actually the camera is just on one person? (laughs) But whether we're in a lockdown level 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1, it is still vitally important for the health of the church that each member, each part of the church is being stirred up, activated, and is sharing, blessing, loving, serving, teaching the rest of the body. Amen? And that's one of the things which is absolutely essential. It's not just a nice to have. It's essential to the well-being and the health of the church. And so as leaders, one of our jobs is not to try and be the whole package like Jesus you know, um, and replace you, it's actually to activate you and to equip you to be the grace giver to the body that God has called you to be. Does that that make sense? It's it's exciting, eh? it's encouraging that that's an essential part of what church is. And the last thing I'll mention that's absolutely essential to church, that church cannot live without, is leadership. Now, that may sound like a strange thing to say, but throughout the history of God's people, whenever God has ever wanted to do something significant with his people, he's always raised up a leader. Think about it. When God wanted to destroy the planet and save a remnant, he raised up Noah. When God wanted to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt, he raised up Moses. When God wanted to lead people into their inheritance, he raised up Joshua. Whenever you, you get, wherever you look, God always raises up leaders, anoints them to lead his people into what he's got for them. And that is still true today. When you look in the New Testament, you see the exact same thing happening. And that is still true today. So, but, but here's the challenging thing. In a lockdown, leadership looks very different. In fact, as somebody who's on the leadership side of, this, of the thing, it's incredibly difficult. And, and for us as leaders, it's been very intimidating. We've probably got it a thousand times more right than we've got it 
wrong, then we've got it right. And you'll have to say, uh, forgive us for that. Because we've also never been through a lockdown. But it becomes incredibly difficult to lead. But we must lead. And we have to think and trust the Holy Spirit for Spirit-inspired inspiration in how to lead God's people. Because in a time of crisis is when you need leadership more than anything else. More than any other time. Does that make sense? Leaders bring a sense of vision, a sense of purpose, and leaders also um, feed the saints with the word of God. God, Jesus said to Peter when he made him an apostle, feed my sheep. And when, during a lockdown, people can get starved of these things. The reason why I mentioned this is because we're going to meet in many different forms. Even today, think of today, we are one congregation. But we are meeting three times this, this today. I'm leading this congregation. So in order to lead this congregation, I'm preaching three times today. <laughs> so the tithes are going to 30% this month, if that's, if that's fine. Worth, a worker is worth his wages and all that. Now, I'm, I've, One day my, my tithing jokes are going to get me into trouble, but I've been, I've been okay so this far. Leadership is now often looking like, so I'm going to have to do videos to play in announcements of something is super important for the whole congregation. Say, for example, we're bringing on new deacons or, I don't know, we're doing whatever that affects the whole congregation. I'm either going to do it three times or, or I'm going to have to do a video. Leadership is having to change. And what, one of the things I want to make you aware of, and I'm now trying to equip you and make, and make you aware of something, otherwise you won't know how to be led well, because this is new for us, is that... As millennials in a, in a generation where we are overwhelmed with information, I'm overwhelmed with information and notifications, we inevitably have to filter information, don't we? I mean, I even filter which telephone calls I answer. <laughs> because you get a lot of really, really weird and wonderful phone calls. We all filter. But if you're in a lockdown and you filter out leadership, you're going to suffer. And so we have to even think differently about how we filter even on technology. Even the way we, so for example, if we're in lockdown zero, I'm telling you this now in ahead of time because it's going to happen. If we starve of, being, of hearing the word of God preached, we won't grow, we won't thrive, we won't be able to be led. So we're going to have to think differently even about how we receive information. So for example, I'm going to have to use WhatsApps. I'm going to have to use videos. I'm, we're going to have to do live streams. All of these things we've already done. Why? We're adapting. We're adapting. In the church in China, do you know that they have online meetings with over 1,000 people on Zoom? That's not the only way they do church, thankfully. They meet in homes. But they're doing exactly what we're doing. But they'll just have to do it even after COVID's done because that's how they avoid persecution. These are the ways in which church is adapting to Meet the needs of what church actually is in times when things are changing. Does that make sense? I want to encourage you, when we meet in ways which are unusual for you or uncomfortable for you, push through your comfort zone. Push through. Say, God, this is new for me, but I'm going to try it. I'm going to, I'm going to be with God's people. So if church looks like three families meeting in a home, watching Joshua live, that's gathering. Grace is going to come. And, put, and if that's not comfortable, say, Jesus, this is what you're calling us to right now. I value this because this is good for me. And I'm going to encounter you and experience grace 
in a new, fresh way if I do this. So, so push through. Don't think, oh, you know what, I'm just going to wait until lockdown's done, and then I'll come back to church again. I'm telling you this because we have to learn to think differently. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm trying to prepare you for something. Right now, things are almost normal, but they won't be forever. And when things change again, we need to hold on to what's precious, like that analogy of the race car. We can throw that out. We can throw that out. This we must keep. This is precious. Does that make sense? So I want to close by just encouraging you primarily in this. Church is relationship and church is loving, trusting relationships. It's us ministering to one another through our love, through encouragement, through even caring for one another practically. It's essential to who we are. Church is gathering together. Even if it looks different, we gather. Church is a body made up of many parts. Each part brings grace to the whole congregation. And lastly, leadership is a a means of grace by which God brings purpose, he brings vision, and he brings the nourishment of his word in a way that causes us to grow our roots down deep. Is that cool? Can we pray? Let's pray.